Well, it is good to be with you again this morning. Happy New Year once again. Trust that you are all ready to go. As uh, we start off this new year, you're able to spend some time with your family and some relatives, maybe over the new year or the Christmas season, and uh, you're ready to jump into what 2017 has to offer, uh, fresh and eager, and I hope with the excitement of the new year, you're also ready and eager to also dig into God's Word as we uh, continue uh, going through that here at Faith. Uh, Pastor Steve is on vacation, and uh, he'll be back in a couple weeks, um, and he'll be getting a uh, new series um, through the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And so uh, if you want to prepare for that, you can begin to read through um, the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, as, uh, as he will be bringing that to us um, when he returns in the middle of January. Well, the first of the year always feels like provides a great opportunity for us uh, as a church family to remind ourselves of what our focus and our aim is, or our goal, if you will. And you see that on the cover of your bulletin every Sunday as you come into church, um, and that is to become more fully devoted disciples of Jesus. And we do that as we gather here as a family, as a corporate body of believers, as we engage in worship, like we've been doing here already, uh, as we are teaching through God's Word. Um, And we also do that in a variety of ways throughout the week, Um, different ministries and groups that gather um, for times of fellowship and encouragement and for teaching and challenge. You know, and and we study God's Word, um, not just so that we can acquire more knowledge or, or information about who God is or who Jesus is, um, but we really study God's Word so that it will help us to move into a deeper, more personal relationship with Jesus Himself that I believe will ultimately transform our lives um, from the inside out, as we just sang, uh, but also will help us change the perspective of how we approach situations that we're in or challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. Um, that's our goal, is to become more and more like Christ. You know, sometimes when you think of the person of Jesus, we may all have our favorite uh, perception of Him or perspective of Him. Some of us see Jesus as very loving and kind. Some of us may see Him more as a maybe Prince of Peace. Uh, we just came out of Christmas, and so we spend a lot of time focusing on Him as Emmanuel or God with us. You know, and although those are all true and they're all accurate descriptions of who Jesus is, if if we allow ourselves to just settle on some of those perspectives of Him, we fail to realize how else He is described in Scripture. And as a result, we miss out on having that richer, the deeper understanding of who our Savior and Lord really is. So it's with that focus that I want to turn us to another name of Jesus this morning. Um, and this one is found in the book of John. Uh, chapter 8, verse 12. One where he speaks himself. You can turn there. Uh, we're also going to have this up on the screen. Would you so be so kind as to uh, read it with me? If we can read John 8, verse 12 together out loud um, on the count of three. One, two, three. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Fantastic. You know, you may be aware, if you've read the book of John, that there are seven I am statements of Jesus. 
And each one of these statements reveals to us a little bit of a different perspective of Jesus' purpose, his goal, his, the reason why he's here on earth. You know, and context is important as we study scripture. Uh, and so as we get to this point in John chapter 8 where we see this I am statement of Jesus, um, he's already been actively involved in his public ministry up to this point. He's been actively involved in healing other people. He's been performing miracles. Uh, he's been teaching about the kingdom that his father wants to communicate to his followers. Specifically, what does that mean? And the fact that his father is inviting others to join him in that. But then when we get to chapter 8, verse 12, we see Jesus appears at the temple and he makes this statement, I am the light of the world. And as we hear that, we might celebrate and, and amen that, uh, as we know the truth of that statement, that yes, he is truly the light of the world. But 2,000 years ago, when that statement was initially made, if you were a Jew during that day, your response kind of might have been a little bit more of awe or, or wonder, and possibly even a little disbelief or shock. Because when Jesus made this statement in John 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world, it wasn't just a normal day at the temple where people were gathering and, and conversing and talking and learning amongst others. Jesus actually made this statement during one of the special seasons in the Jewish calendar year. It's the season that's called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles was a yearly festival where the entire nation of Israel would come together for a week to celebrate and remember their past. And specifically, they would remember their time of captivity that they were under with Pharaoh, and they would remember and celebrate how God had released them from that captivity and brought them out of Egypt. And during that week, they'd celebrate how God specifically led them out of Egypt by a pillar of fire in the darkness. And he would guide them to where he was having them to go. And so during this festival every year at the temple, they would erect these giant menorahs or giant candle operas that were about 75 feet tall. Um, and on the top of these, they would put these huge golden bowls. And they would fill these bowls with about 10 gallons of oil. And then they would make wicks out of different garments and rags that they would have. And they would tie them together and they would put them in the bowl. And then they would light them. And so the light of these bowls would go out such a powerful, strong light. And it was a reminder that God was with them and that he was leading them. Some would actually say the light was so bright from these bowls, you see a picture of what it could have looked like. It was so bright that it illuminated every street and court in the city of Jerusalem. But it was a visual reminder of the fact that God was with them. Through the pillar of fire, he led them and he guided them to where he wanted them to go. And at the end of the feast, the lights would be burned out, and then they would continue to wait for their Messiah to come. So imagine if you were a Jew during that day, and you are celebrating in the Jerusalem at this festival at this time, you're remembering the significant event that happened to your ancestors, and then Jesus steps up on the steps of the temple, and he declares, I am the light of the world. Well, you know, if you uh, really remember when Jesus uses that phrase, I am, that uh, it's a very clear, rememberable phrase that the Jewish people were familiar with. I am uh, 
is a very significant and a unique name that's associated to God himself. In fact, we see this back in Exodus chapter 3, um, where God used it in his interaction with Moses when he was challenging and asking him to go and speak to Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 3 calls us and reminds us when Moses says, well, to God, who, who should I say sent me? And God replies and says, I am who I am. God's describing his eternal, his never-changing, self-sufficient nature, among other things. And so by using this phrase, Jesus is also equating himself with that eternal status. But also his nature that he is God as well. And so when he's standing in the temple and he's proclaiming that I am to these Jews, he's saying, I am Yahweh in the flesh. I have come. I am God right here before you. And just as I led your ancestors through the darkness, through out of their captivity in Egypt with that pillar of fire, so do I want to come and rescue and deliver you out of your spiritual darkness and bring you to the light. All you need to do is to follow me. And I believe what Jesus is saying to us 2,000 years later, right here today at Faith Bible Church, is this. Is that just as I guided those, the, the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, so do I want to be your light that will lead you out of your spiritual darkness and will bring you into the light, into a relationship with myself. That's why I'm here. That's why I've come so that you can be redeemed and brought out from that darkness because whoever is with me will never walk in darkness again. Will you let me be your light? Will you live in that light? You know, in the Old Testament, light is commonly referenced um, as a way to describe God's presence, uh, to describe His guidance, and in some cases, to describe His salvation. We read earlier at the start of our service, Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We also see in the Old Testament various prophecies regarding this light that is later fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Isaiah 9.2 tells us, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And of course we see that fulfilled later in Matthew 4.16, being fulfilled in the actual person of Jesus. Isaiah 42.6 and 49.6 also refer to a light for the Gentiles so that salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And of course, as we look in the New Testament in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, we see those specific verses reiterated by Simeon as he stands in the temple dedicating Jesus. But despite all these prophecies, the Pharisees back in John chapter 8 and the teachers, they wanted to dispute Jesus' claim and his testimony to be able to say such things. And so this led Jesus and the rest of this passage to explain how his testimony is true because of the relationship that he has with his Father. He came from the Father. He's returning to the Father. He does nothing apart from the Father. He and the Father are one. Unfortunately, it's that relationship with the Father that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were lacking. They were missing And so, that's the reason why they were having a difficult time understanding the truth of what Jesus was trying to communicate. But it's under that authority, the authority that Jesus is the great I Am, 
And the relationship that he has with his father, that he declares himself to the light of the world. And he invites us to join him. Because as the true light that he is, as we choose to follow him, we will never walk in darkness. But this verse also refers to Jesus as life. What's the relationship between light and life that he's talking about? If you flip back to John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, you'll see that the Apostle John writes that in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, as we follow the light of Christ, we receive the life of Christ. It's the type of life that satisfies. It's the type of life that gives us hope, that peace, and and a joy. It's a type of life that gives us a purpose and a meaning and significance. And it's ultimately a life that allows us to have a relationship and spend eternity with God. One note that uh, this verse brings up about the light is that the darkness has not overcome it. Could you say that with me? The darkness has not overcome it. You know, I don't claim to be a scientist. Uh, I did not do that always that well in my math or in my science classes when I was in school, particularly physics. Um, so I'm not that well versed in that. But I do know this to be true. That whenever light encounters darkness the darkness must flee. Whenever light encounters darkness, the darkness must flee. That may not be an earth-shattering announcement for you, but think about the power of that. You know, our family enjoys the great outdoors, and we particularly enjoy going tent camping um, off and on throughout the summertime when the weather is decent. Well, this past summer, our family, we got to take a trip, and on part of that trip, we spent a night at the Warren Dune State Park. Uh, the Warren Sand Dunes up in Michigan. And we love being able to play in Lake Michigan there, on the beach and in the water, and climb up the sand dunes and come down or somersault down um, the, the sand dunes and roast s'mores over the fire and get everything set up and get settled in for the night. You know, it's common with a tent camping site at a campground, if, if you uh, have ever done anything like that, uh, the bathroom house or the, the facilities are not always located right next to you. And so that was the case in this situation. And the neighbors that were beside us in our site, uh, located right next to us, um, told us about a shortcut route that we could take to get from our site up to the bathhouse. You know, just have to kind of walk through these little this little wooded area. There's this little trail. And so you kind of wander around and you kind of curve there. And, and when you get to the fork in the trail... Um, you want to go left and go up that little little hill, uh, curve around, and then you're going to get... Don't go right, but go left. And you curve a little bit farther, and then you're going to get to the bathhouse. And we appreciated the, the heads up and the tip on that. Um, but if you've ever experienced camping, you know, as you all lay together in your tent, all snuggled in your little cocoons of your sleeping bags and your pillows and blankets... Um, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night, either you or perhaps one of your kids... Um, has to wake up and use the bathroom. And so you grab your shoes, your sandals, you unzip the tent, quietly, of course, because you don't want to wake anybody else up, and uh, and you begin to go on the quest to find the bathroom. Now, in any ordinary day, you know, a simple task like this um, is not a problem. But when you do it under the cloak of darkness, it takes on a whole new challenge. Right? You don't want to go too fast 
as you go out of your tent because you don't know if you're going to accidentally run into one of those tree branches in the little woods that uh, that you're supposed to avoid, right? Or, or you don't want to uh, trip your foot or stub your toe on maybe this rock that's in the ground or a tree root that you might not be able to see. And you definitely don't want to trip over a tent pole or a, or a rope um, and have your whole tent come crashing down at three in the morning. But the moment that you grab your flashlight or that lantern that's right inside your tent and you turn it on, there is a powerful beam of light that begins to illuminate your entire area around you. And that light becomes your guide. It becomes the the thing that will instruct you and lead you to your destination of the royal throne. That moment, your flashlight becomes the most powerful resource you have to help you overcome the darkness. And you know, and the truth is, if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, you have the light and the power of Christ living in you. Which, on a spiritual level, is much more significant and so much more powerful than any flashlight or lantern known to man. You know, and it's when we rely on that power of Christ, the power of spiritual darkness has to flee. But I find it interesting that even though we believe this truth a lot with our head, yes, Christ is more powerful than darkness. Light is powerful over darkness. We sometimes struggle with not always having that evident in our actions and in our lives, or even in our attitude. How often do we walk through our daily life, oh, man, it's such a burden that I'm carrying, these struggles that I'm carrying and holding on to. Lord, just help me make it through one more day. Oh, I just can't wait. Um, These things have such a control over me. We live as if we're defeated. We live as if we're just trying our best to crawl through one day at a time, baby steps until we get to the next day, hoping that it will be better. And we live as if we're held captive by our burdens and by our struggles. And before we know it, we've allowed them to have control over us and our ability to live as believers who are truly free in Christ. Well, what if we chose instead to live the mindset that Scripture teaches us? That the light has come and that light has power over darkness. Because if you and I are in Christ, that light and that power is in us. Because in Christ, we're more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Not because of what you and I have done, not because of our abilities, not because of our smarts, not because of our our talents. No, the darkness must flee because the light has come and has taken residence in our lives. And it's only as we remain in Christ and live through Christ can we see and overcome that darkness. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some uncertainty in your work situation as we go into this new year and, and you really don't know what the future holds. Maybe you're dealing with a past hurt or a, or a past sin and you've allowed it to just kind of nag away at you. It continues to haunt you day after day. Maybe you have a hidden addiction or a habit that you've been trying to break but it continues to push you more and more into the darkness. Maybe you're experiencing a strained relationship with someone, someone close to you, someone that you care about, and you're not sure how to resolve it or even if it will ever get resolved. 
And you've allowed it to consume you in the anxiety and the fear of what's going to happen. Let me remind us of this truth today. That in Christ we have the victory and the ability to overcome the darkness. Let's live in that mindset and allow it to shape who we are. Because as believers, we're called to live differently. You know, Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul um, lays out some behaviors of those who identify as children of the light. People who have chosen to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And in Ephesians 4 and 5, he, he outlines things that we are called to put off and things that we are called to put on. Various characteristics and behaviors. But in Ephesians 5 eight, Paul, he kind of sums it all up by saying this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I like that verse. It's full of so much truth. First of all, this verse is positional. This verse is positional. It tells us who we were, but it also tells us who we now are. We were in darkness, and now we are light in the Lord. Notice the difference. But the verse not only is positional, it's also purposeful. It tells us as children of the light what we are now to do in light of our position. We are called to live as children of the light. We are called to live as imitators of Christ. The person who has the light of Christ in them isn't focused on how they can use their own strengths or their own abilities to overcome their challenges or or their struggles or their addictions or their habits. Because they realize that on their own power and their own strength, they can't. The person who has Christ in them is focused on how to best represent Christ in every element of their lives. It's when we come to lean on His strength and on His power, He gives us the ability to overcome those challenges in our lives. So the question that I have for us today is, are we living in the light of Christ? Are we as believers abiding in Him and residing in Him? Or do we just pay lip service to this concept? Is our focus and is our attention on allowing His light to be found in us? Or are we just going to go around and kind of self-manage our own issues, our own sin and struggles? Well, there's one other insight that I want to share with you about Jesus being the light of the world. You know, if you look over these seven I am statements that you find in the book of John, this is the only I am statement that Jesus also associates his followers with. It's the only I am statement that he associates his followers with. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, you're going to see Jesus says the same thing about his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So not only do we receive that light and we're called to abide and to dwell in that light, we're also called to be His light bearers. People that are called to express this light through our lives and to expose this light through our actions. 
You know, and this calling to express and expose this light, I think for many of us, we see it as a burden. We see it as a chore. And I want to challenge us to rethink it as a privilege. We have the privilege and the opportunity to share and introduce with others how this light and the power of Christ that is in us has transformed my life and has transformed your life and how it can transform their life. I don't know what it's like at your house, but um, if you've ever had anyone come through your neighborhood and and, uh, knock on your doors as a salesman who's selling magazine subscriptions, um, we had a a guy like that when we were back in Illinois. Um, I was home with the three kids and Jill was out. And so one night, as I'm there in the house, I knock on the door. And this guy is there. And I don't know about you, why this happens. I think maybe they have this out for us. But this always happens during dinner time. Like when you're preparing dinner or when you're having dinner, right? Anyone else see this coincidence where all these door-to-door salesmen come at the moment when you really don't want them to come, right? I mean, it's bad, it's challenging enough to, to make dinner uh, for me um, and to also have the three kids there. And now I have to entertain some guy who is, you know, got a slick sales spiel and, and is, wants to sell me about all the amazing deals that he has on his magazine subscriptions. Nonetheless, I open the door and uh, we start to engage in a conversation. And uh, as he was going through his, his well-rehearsed sales spiel, I really began to wonder, where, where is this conversation going? Well, he began to tell me how he had grown up in the hood, out in the city in uh, California. And uh, he was looking to get out of that type of an environment, in that situation. And so um, he came into Chicago, or he came into the area of Chicago, because um, he was given a second chance to get out of that and to, uh, to do something different with his life. And so he had enrolled in this job training program, and this was part of that program where he was being taught job skills and uh, good business work ethics um, and uh, good interpersonal skills. And so he was out um, explaining all that to me, uh, showing me his credentials, his paperwork, just to help kind of offset any fear that I had that maybe this wasn't a, a real situation and, or a setup or a scam. Um, and so as he was talking about his background and this opportunity that he had for a second chance, he turned to me and he asked me, he's like, let me ask you, sir, do you believe in second chances? I immediately said, yes, I do. And he says, well, why is that, sir? And I said, well, because I've benefited from having a second chance myself. He says, "Uh uh-huh. And I said, well, it's in the fact that God has given me a second chance because he's chosen to forgive me of my sin and, and, and pay the penalty for all the sin that I've done. I don't know about you, but if you ever want to end a conversation with a door-to-door salesman and get them on their way pretty fast, just drop a little Jesus in there and see what happens. This guy was quite intrigued with my response. I don't think it was what he was expecting me to say. But nonetheless, he was interested. Uh, and it was just the first thing that came out of my mouth. So that's that's kind of how we rolled. Uh, and so... In the course of conversation, he, he noticed the shirt that I was wearing, and, and it was a t-shirt that uh, was kind of a dark gray t-shirt, and it had uh, in white letters across the middle of it, God, 
and it was surrounded by a lot of other dark words and, and print, and at the very bottom in white letters that hit pause, find God. It was a theme t-shirt from a, an event that we had done at our youth ministry. And he saw that, and he picked up on that, and he says, Sir, what is your view of God? Wow. Can I turn off the stove so I don't burn my noodles? Because this conversation is going. And, and so I was standing there with him, and I thought for a moment, and I said, well, I said, to me, God is someone who is eternal. He is, he is outside the realm of time. But I said, God is also a God of love. And he's also a God who is just. And he's a God who has created everything that you and I see. And I said, in addition to that, um, I, began, I began to walk through the gospel with him, the G-O-S-P-E-L. We teach our students uh, how to share their faith and how to share the full story of the gospel. And so I began to unpack that for him. I'm like, you know, even though God created everything that you and I see, he also created us. And he created us to be in a relationship with him. Because he loves us so much. But because of the sin that we've all had, the sinful nature that is in part of who we are, we've separated ourselves from that. Our relationship with God has been broken. And there's nothing that we can do now. We now owe God a debt that we cannot pay. And as we kind of unpack that a little bit more, I began to go into how because of God's great love for us, he sent his son Jesus down on this cross to take my shame, to take my sin, and to pay the punishment that I truly deserve to pay. He took it on himself so that we could be back in a restored relationship and make that possible. He sat there and he just listened and respectful about the whole time. And uh, he nodded his head in agreement to a couple of things that I said, but I could tell it wasn't quite clicking. You know, I wish I could say that he, he became a believer right there on the doorstep of my house and he prayed, and we're brothers in Christ right now, but uh, that didn't happen. We exchanged a few more pleasantries and words, and later on we parted ways, and he went on to the next house to try to attempt a sale. But I share that story with you, not because I'm an expert in having those types of conversations, because I'm not, but because I sense that God was giving me the privilege to share about the light that has come into my life and how that has transformed me and my hope and desire to be able to share that and to see another life transformed by that same power of the gospel. I mean, isn't that what the gospel is all about? It's what we are able to do in transferring and communicating the hope and the truth of Jesus. He tells us that we are the light of the world. We are his light bearers to a dark world. A world, as we look around us, of people that are hurting, people that are searching, people that are searching for hope, for joy, for contentment. And yet nothing provides that, nothing satisfies that, except Jesus himself. And if we were to get that, if we were to actually internalize that, and to believe that, how would that change the way that we approach our life? How would that change the way we wake up tomorrow as we go to work or on Tuesday when we go back to school, or as we're running our errands around town, as we see people in the hallways or in the stores or even in our own neighborhood, as people searching for hope, searching for life. And we, according to Matthew chapter 5, we are the light of the world, and as a result, we have that privilege and that honor 
to be the light of Christ in our world. Well, the good news is this. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have a story of redemption and rescue that I believe God wants you to use to bring others to him. And I believe that God has gifted you, each one of us, individually and uniquely to accomplish that. In your bulletin this morning, uh, you are uh, given a bookmark. Could you grab that, pull that out for a moment? I want to challenge you to do two different things with this bookmark before we close. First of all, I'd love for you to take this bookmark home with you and to use it as a visual reminder of the light of God that resides in you and that is at work through you. You are the light of the world. I want to encourage you as you stick this in your Bible or a book or you put this on your nightstand or or maybe in your bathroom mirror or, or stick it in your car, wherever you see things frequently, I would encourage you to use this as, an, as a reminder that the light of Christ is in you and is at work through you. And every time you see this, I want to encourage you to pause and just ask God to fill you with his light, fill you with the power that is available through him as you go through your day, and that we would know what it means to be found in him. But I also want to encourage you to do one more thing with this bookmark. You'll see in the middle there, in the blue section, uh, are three lines. I want to encourage you to think and to take a moment and to write down the names of three people that you would like to commit to pray for this week and to pray specifically that God would give you the opportunity to have a gospel conversation with them. I want to challenge us to put this into action. This week, between now and next Sunday, Look expectantly and ask expectantly for God to give you the opportunity to have a gospel conversation with Him. And maybe that's a coworker, or maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a complete stranger that's going to come and knock on your door this week and ask if you want to buy magazines. And He's going to want to know what you think about second chances. How will you respond? What opportunity might you have this week to bring God up in a conversation? Will you do it? I don't want to end this bookmark and this challenge with just that. Next Sunday, as we come back together, um, we're going to have a table in the back of the auditorium as you come in that will have some battery-powered tea lights on them. And I want to encourage you, if you had the opportunity throughout the course of this next week to have a gospel conversation or to bring God up in a conversation with someone, I want to encourage you to take one of those tea lights, turn it on, and bring it down here before our service begins on the table that we're going to have down here at the bottom in the front of the sanctuary. And we're doing that with the goal so that we can see and we can encourage and we can celebrate how God is using us and how God is moving in us and through us to be a light in our dark world. If you had the opportunity actually to lead someone to Christ in the next week, we're going to have a, a, a tea light for that so we can celebrate that new life in Christ. So I want to challenge us to take this bookmark, to prayerfully think about the names that we would want to write on there, and then to prayerfully think and to expect and to look for the opportunities that God is giving us this week to put that into action. That's the power of the gospel. A well-known author and a speaker, Ron Hutchcraft, he said this, Lost people desperately need a lighthouse. That is out where they are, pointing them to life in Jesus Christ. Be their lighthouse.
We are lights in a dark world. And I want to challenge us to take the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus, and illuminate it boldly and clearly as we go forth. Let's live that way. Let's share the gospel that way. Let me pray for us. God, I pray and we thank you for being the light of the world, for being uh, the hope that we can put our faith and our trust in. We praise you, Father, for overcoming the darkness through your death and your resurrection, for allowing us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that our lives will be filled with that light, that we would come to abide in you, that we would experience and know your power that is available to us to overcome the darkness, and that through you the darkness will flee. Father, I pray that as we go through this next week, as we identify people that you're laying on our hearts for us to have a gospel conversation with, I pray that our eyes would be open to seeing how you are orchestrating those opportunities, that you would give us the boldness and the privilege to share the hope and the light that's in us. Father, we pray that your light would shine brightly through us and that we would share this light with those that we interact with so we can come back next week and celebrate and encourage one another toward that end. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.